It's a pleasure to be here to, today. Thank you, Adrian, Antoinette, and Paul. It's, it's amazing, actually, to be here and to stand together with you guys and these churches and what you represent and everything Laurie said, and to see friends from way back and new friends. And I just want to say thank you. It's a privilege. It really is a privilege. I, I'm having my own little revival meeting here at the front, sorry. <laughs> We're, you know, we're, it's, it's hard not to be all nostalgic, nostalgic as you get older and think how good God is and his faithfulness. And I, I don't remember what years we were back here years ago. It has to be more than 10 because we are in Canada now for 10. Um, so 15 years, I don't know, whenever we were here. And I was giving Paul a hard time about, can you remember what I preached? And he couldn't remember anything, so I'm going to preach it all over again. <laughs> but no, but what I, sitting here in the front, just listening to you sing, and you sang the Afrikaans song, and we're in Stellenbosch and the Cape, and it's just too many good things in my head. And I remember one thing I said somewhere, could have been in... Somerset West could have been anywhere. I don't, doesn't matter because there was a season I was, you know, I, I, I've often said, thank God for children. They're just big bundles of sermon illustrations, but it's the only reason we have kids. <laughs> but we, we adopted a, our youngest son, he's 20 this year, um, at an Abba house in Pretoria. And I remember sharing some of that story when I was up here about going to the Abba house, Lori and I, and long story, and I don't want to preach it because if I get going on that story, that's, that's, my morning is gone. But just going into the Abba house, which is a place, a center for children in, in Pretoria where we adopted from, and kind of this, and it wasn't just a picture, it was real, kind of a room full of babies and saying, we choose you. And we chose our son, Matthew, and ruined his life forever. <laughs> but he's 20 this year and so I'm sitting here remembering this story and where we are and back in Africa and my heart's full of this place and we spent 30 years in Africa and Tanzania and here and I was, I was thinking I, I don't want to bring up that story again but what got me sitting here is we're t my son is 20 now we're back in Stellenbosch and my son is in Ethiopia with his Bible school class preaching in Ethiopia. And they just have to be amazed at the faithfulness of God. Yeah. And so I got a little bit schnott and tron, as they say, and I just, <laughs> I just thank God for his amazing, amazing, amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. <laughs> What he does and how he works in our lives and in people and circumstance and bringing things together. And none of us is here this morning by chance or by accident or mistake. It's God's purpose yeah. to be standing here and just worshiping together and thinking how great he is and his amazingness. So just let me enjoy myself a little bit, if that's okay. And bear with me. Flying here. I hate flying. It's terrible. Anybody that thinks flying is glamorous, you've just never done it. That's all. It's a really bad bus ride. But anyhow, 
But we're flying here, and it's the second flight from Amsterdam down to here, and it's long, and you watching movies until your eyes are crossed and they don't even remember what's going on. But there was a movie on the plane, it's new where we are from, I don't know if it's in the theaters here, whatever, but it's called Harriet. And it's the story of Harriet Tubman, the slave in the States who escaped slavery and she became very instrumental in the Underground Railroad. So if you know any of that history or get to see that movie, it's a true story, it's an amazing story, but I'm sitting there in this dark, flying to Africa, coming back to where we felt was home. We thought we'd retire here forever. We're citizens of South Africa, just so you know, so you can't throw us out. And, and we're here, coming here, and in the middle of that movie, somewhere in that process, I wished I had the clip, I would put it up here with the loudest speakers and the drums and everything, because it, it just woke me up in the airplane, and I'm like, wait till I get back to Canada. These guys are going to get it. But it's like, her line is this. She has become quite popular now. She has rescued, this, this whole terrible story of slavery. You can only imagine slavery and the wickedness of it. And they, they, don't, they don't even try to make it look so horrible as it was, as it could be. And, but it's just unbelievable and she has escaped and she's risking her life to go back and find family and go back and take anyhow it's the whole story and in the middle of it she's receiving an award from the American government and there was government officials and senators and whatever involved otherwise that whole underground railway thing and the laws changing wouldn't have happened but they're honoring Harriet and she's there amongst these senators and all these people of every kind and former slaves and freedmen and government. And this is the line that just, you, I can see some of you say, why don't you preach the Bible? But listen to me. <laughs> and in the middle of this honoring her, she gets up and she says, you have forgotten what slavery is like. You may not have been in slavery or you've been out of it too long, but you have forgotten what slavery is like. And she goes on passionately. She says this line. She says, I will give every drop of blood I have until this demon thing of slavery is finished, is broken. And it hit me sitting in the airplane like an arrow to the heart. That we as believers, we as God's children who have tasted something of freedom, of, we maybe feel like we were never in slavery, we were never born in slavery, or we've been out of it long enough that we've forgotten what slavery is like. What it means to be trapped in sin. What it means to be lost for eternity. What it means to have no hope in this life. We forget. And we had a prophetic ministry a couple of weeks back in our church. And one of the, there was many words spoken. One of the things he spoke to, to Lori and I and specifically to me. And I speak it to you as leaders here in the front. And to anybody who will hear me. But it's, I give you permission to make people uncomfortable with being comfortable. We have forgotten and that's the, the word for me. It's a word to my, our church in Canada. And that's why I said when I get back, they're going to get an earful. 
coming over here again and just stirring up the call of God in our life and we spent 30 years in Africa and all of those things and 40 something years in ministry. It feels like I'm 100 years old, but I'm not. I look really good for 75. It's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to even give that in. We forget. We forget. And our brothers and sisters, they struggle. They, I could tell you story after story after story, but I just felt God is in this house this morning, and he's, he's going through Abba House. What a name, eh? And he's going to individuals, and he's saying, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. Out of a room of orphans, out of a room of abandoned, out of a room full of slaves to sin, I choose you. You, and you, and you, and you. And he, he has this amazing ability to just touch each one of us personally. So that's my prayer this morning. And that's my own personal little revival meeting that I had. And I just believe God is speaking this morning to people. Whether it's about his faithfulness to trust him for family, trust him for ministry, trust him for salvation. He's faithful. Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 6. I know you know this verse by heart. I'm just going to quote one verse there, and then I'm going to go to James. But just so you can't say he didn't even read his Bible, you should have this verse memorized by now, but it simply says, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Think about it. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless the reading of his holy, infallible word. I want to give you the bad news, and I want to give you the good news. Here's the bad news. Sin is all of our problem. Sin is destroying this world that we live in. Sin destroys families. The wages of sin is death. It's, it kills every relationship. It kills life, and it's eternal death, eternal separation from God. It's nothing to play with. It's nothing to make light of. It cost Jesus his life. He, he went to the cross. The power of the gospel was displayed when Jesus shed his blood. He, he doesn't just make light of it. He, he paid for it. He, he dealt with it. And God help us that we don't ever become casual with sin. That we don't ever become friends, easy, when we talk about sin. May we be brutal with one another. May we be brutal with sin itself. That separation from God, that, that disobedience to God. May we never forget it. The wages of sin is death. It destroys. And one day it will destroy people for eternity who have not dealt with sin in their life, who have not 
come to that point where they've actually asked God to help them and forgive them for their sin. It's a, it's a terrible thing. And we cannot forget what it's like to be slaves. We cannot become casual and we cannot become comfortable with sin. God hates sin. He loves the sinner. And he's paid a price to deal with it. And that was giving his son Jesus. Sin is all our problem. There's none righteous, the Bible says, not anyone. There's a way that seems right to man. I'm just quoting scriptures, Proverbs 14, 12, that seems right, but its end, sorry, but its end is the way to death. So every one of us has this connection. We have to deal with sin. We have to deal with our issues. We've got to deal with where we're at in our life, all of us. Walking through this life, we have to face it. I, I've used this story so many times, forgive me, if you remember it from 10 years ago. You, <laughs> I don't know where I use it, it's okay. But many of my stories come from flying. And I, I'm not good at dealing with stories when I'm flying, because I'm usually miserable and sitting in the dark. But it's my friend's story, a missionary friend of mine. They're flying back from Kenya, back to North America, and... You know, have you ever been in a plane where the kids in front of you are just kicking or behind you are just kicking the seats and they're carrying on and it's like you try to be nice for a couple of hours and after about two days of this, you're like... So my friend, he turns around and he speaks not nicely to this young father sitting there with his kids. He says, can't you just keep them quiet? Keep them from kicking the seat. Can't you just... And the father's like, sorry, I'm sorry, I'll try. And he apologizes and he talks to his kids and quiets them. And this, you, know, you can just imagine the picture. But as they're getting off the plane, this young father says to my friend, <clears throat> sorry, I just want to apologize for my kids, but their mother died recently and her coffin is in the luggage compartment of this plane. And we're taking her home to bury her. And he, he kind of realized his problems weren't that big. And I, I just know here this morning that there's people sitting here who have stuff in the luggage compartment of our life that we can't deal with. We can't just ignore. We can't get past. And, and that's where God comes in. That's where God is good at ministering to the stuff in our lives that maybe no one else knows, to stuff in our life that we've pushed down or that we, we, we're trying to put on a good face. We're trying to, to hold things together. And God just comes in a moment. It can be in a morning like this in a, a song or somebody says something to you or looks at you and he just, he just takes by the Spirit of God and he just touches you in the deepest part of your life and heals it if you let him. And he's speaking to people this morning about sin, about that broken part of our life that we don't like to talk about, that we don't like to share with others. We don't like to just get all open about God comes and he just speaks and he lays his hand on us and he says, you know, I choose you. You're mine. 
You're mine. I made, I know everything about, there's nothing hidden. There's nothing hidden in your life that I can't touch and get to. And I ask you this morning to open up your heart. Open up your life. Say, God, look at me. Deal with me. Deal with my heart today. The deepest, deepest part of my life. You know, people, whenever we start talking about sin, about judgment, heaven, hell, Bible stuff, I don't know what this part of the world's like anymore, but everybody's like, how could God allow such things? How can God, who's supposed to be a loving God, how could these terrible things be going on? How could, how could God judge someone? How could God punish someone? Those questions just keep coming. You know, and we're challenged as believers, as leaders of churches. I don't know here where you're at, but in our part of the world, one of the worst things you can be is a, a conservative white Christian male, 61, that's me. Like, there's no one worse in the planet for destroying the climate, destroying, you know, we are bigots and we are, we are everything that's wrong with the world right now, if you listen to much of the media. And that question keeps coming. What kind of a God is that? How can you, how can God, who says he's loving, allow these things? But I got to challenge that this morning. You know what the very, 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 very first question in the Bible was? It was Satan asking, did God really say that? Did God? You know, it, what's it implying is that, that God is trying to rob you of something. There's something more for your life, something more. And, you know, did God really say those things? Like, come on, he put that question in people's hearts. And that question is still being asked today. How does God, how could he do these things? Did God really say that? Did God really intend for this Bible to be his word, for it to be eternal, for it to be infallible, for it to be a, a, a map for our lives? How could it be? How could, how could we be right and, or God's word be right and everyone else wrong? How could these things be? I'm telling you that question was there from the beginning. Yeah. Putting a, a doubt in your heart. And I, I want to tell you something. God is completely sovereign. And God is completely loving. And we have this amazing struggle throughout the whole Old Testament and New Testament this tension between God's sovereignty. Well, if God is sovereign and he's good, then why all this? So if God isn't completely sovereign, he can't control everything, but he's still loving, well, then we're in trouble. But if God is sovereign and he's in control of everything, but he doesn't really, he's not really that good, then he's just mischievous and he's causing trouble. But this, this point that God is sovereign and God is loving held together in tension throughout the whole Bible. And it's there. But the Here's some theological words for you. But God is, is not contingent. God is not forced to do anything based on you or me or anything that's going on. And we are not mitigated. We are, we are responsible for every decision we make. And how you hold those two together, only God knows. And the best theologians in the world will, will have to write the books and describe it to you. But I'm just telling you, that tension is there from the beginning to the end. God is God, and we are responsible for what we do. 
And we're responsible for our decisions and for what our choices were. And so you go right back to the beginning of the Bible. Sin entered. Sin wasn't created. God did not create sin. God did not create the stuff that's going on in the world in men and women's heart. That came from men wanting to be equal with God. That intent of our hearts that, that says, who's God? Did God really say those things? How can God judge us? How does God know what's best for my life? And he's, we, we've been throwing that challenge back at God from the beginning. But the problem is, God is sovereign, and we are responsible both for our choice, for where we walk, what we do, what we do with the, the gift that he's offered to us. So, if I start this morning, the wages of sin is death, and you have a question that comes up in your mind, well, how can God be God and judge us? He made us. It's because he's given us that opportunity to choose. He's given us that opportunity to, to hear his spirit and listen to what he's saying to us. If you turn in the Bible to James chapter 2, one of my favorite old-time verses is verse Chapter 1, sorry, verse 13. He gives us a little bit of a picture. Sorry, it's hot in here. I come from Canada. <laughs> you know, at the beginning of this month, it was minus 48. We had the coldest city in the world. That's 48 below just with the thermometer sitting there. It was minus 56 with the wind. It's serious. So when we left, it warmed up to minus 26, so it was like summertime. But then we land here, 30 above. Hey, you guys, you don't, you don't know how good you have it. Come. If I hear one more of you guys complain about this country, I am going to come there, and I'm going to sort you out. Look outside. I'm, I think we need more, make them uncomfortable with being comfortable. I, I think that's a good message for this city, anyhow. I'll leave that up to your pastors. I'm the nice evangelist guy coming to visit. <laughs> James says it like this. If you want to know how, how this business can work, and it, it's simply this. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God does not tempt any man with evil. For God cannot be tempted with, by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he, by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That sin business, the wages of sin is death. The, the end of sin, the result, the fruit of sin is death. So here's the picture. We, um, he says, your strong desire, it's not evil, it's not wrong, but God has created us with desire, strong desire, the Bible uses it as lust. It's a, it's a negative connotation most times, but there's strong passions. We are passionate people. We are created by God. We, we have desire. We have wants and desire. But the problem is when those get out of control and when they're not put in the boundaries that God intended and all those good preachers that you've heard, that desire can take us places that we shouldn't be. And he says, they, then we are enticed and there's a devil involved, and there's, there's that dragging us away. They are enticed. I, I like the word it says, they are dragged away and enticed. There's this 
this hook that gets in them. <laughs> Let me tell another Canadian story. Are you ready? I, <laughs> Ten years ago, I probably shared it. You should remember this. <laughs> it's coming back now. That's good. Ah. My sister worked in Tuktayaktuk, and they worked with the Eskimo people, and it's frozen there 24-7 all year round. And they tell the story, and it's a true story, but they used to catch wolves, and they would trap them. You remember that story? No, good. Don't, don't say anything if you do. But they literally, they would take a big sharp knife, and I'll make it really short because I can make it really long, but they take a big sharp knife, they sharpen both sides, there's no children in here today, so that's good. And they, they would dip it in fresh blood, and they would let it freeze. And they'd dip it and dip it in, until they made a nice ice lolly on this big, sharp knife. And they would put it somewhere where the wolves would come along, and they would get the smell of it. And so it's, it's the exact picture of this strong desires, being dragged away, being enticed. And so they would put that out there somewhere, and the wolf, because it's his nature, because it's who he is, that within him is attracted to that which is without. That's where desire and lust and, and being dragged away comes from and being enticed by an enemy comes from. They would come close. And when they got close, the smell of blood. They wanted some. And they would take a lick. And once they got that taste... Woo! Desire is lit, and they want more. And the problem is they never noticed when they stopped eating the blood on the knife and they started eating their own. And the Eskimo would come the next day, and he would find a dead wolf. You say, that's a stupid wolf. No, he just was doing what his nature was telling him to do. That Eskimo didn't harm him. His, his own desire destroyed his life. And that's the picture that James talks about of sin, how it, how it takes you down the path to where you don't want to go. You never intended to be there. I remember Michael Eaton many times in, in Pretoria preaching, and, and R.T. Kendall. He, he just simply stopped in the middle of a preach. And he said, listen to me, if you're considering adultery, you're considering doing something sinful here this morning, stop it. Five years from now, you are not going to want to be in this same place and say, I wished I would have listened to that guy. I wished I would have turned at that time. You don't want to be five years down the road and looking back and say, man, I had that opportunity to listen to what the Spirit of God was saying. That's this, this morning. I don't know where you're at in your walk. I don't know what, where you're living. But if there's something that's taking you out, something that's leading you down where you know you should not go, in Jesus' name, I ask you to, to turn around. I ask you to repent is the Bible word. I ask you to say, God, help me. God, turn me. Save me. That's what we're talking about this morning. God, save me from those wages. It's not a surprise at the end of the day when you've agreed to work for 10,000 rand, 100,000 rand, and you come to get your wages and they pay you. You can't say, hey, I don't want that. And they said, well, that's the wage you agreed on from the beginning. And this morning, that's what sin does to us. That's what sin offers us. There's, it's not a surprise. Don't be shocked 
at the end of the day that sin destroys. It, we're told up front, the wages of sin is death. The fruit of it, the end of it. And I got to get to the good news. But if you don't know you're lost, you don't know you're in trouble, you can't be found. You can't cry out to God and say, help me, save me. My prayers this morning, let's just keep going. He says, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Then up until now, it's been a desire. Up until now, it's been, hey, and then that sin is conceived. It's, it takes place. And I, I say sorry to all the pregnant women here this morning, but I can remember when my dear wife would get pregnant. And many times in Tanzania, where we lived for many years, the, the ladies would, would try to, I don't know why it was, but they would try to not show that they're expecting, that they're pregnant. So they would cover up very much longer. But then the day comes when you can't cover it. That's what I'm trying to get to. Sin is that wicked thing that you can try to hide for so long you get away with it you but the day comes when that sin is conceived it's going to show up if you don't deal with it if you don't take care of it and then it says when that is full grown gives birth to death what a sad picture of what sin does to people's lives but now Jesus the Bible says, Paul writes it and he says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So there's a way out. There's a, a promise to deal with that problem in our life. Thank God he doesn't leave us on our own. Thank God he, he finds us in slavery. He finds us trapped. He finds us lost. And he comes and he rescues us. And he offers salvation. He redeems us. He, he offers his own blood in our place. We don't deserve it. We weren't even looking for it. We weren't even asking for it. And he comes and he offers salvation to us. And his Holy Spirit quickens something in our heart that says, I need Jesus. I cry out to him, Father, forgive me. So it's not only God looking for us, coming to find us. There's that response when we turn and say, Father, Save us. Help us. And that's the good news. That's the gift that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. And many of us have heard that over and over and over again, but I, I have to go back to sitting in the airplane saying, oh God, may we never forget what it was like to be lost in slavery. May we never forget it. May we, may I, there's stuff I have to go back to Canada and say. There's stuff I have to go back there and do that's been rearranged in my heart just watching that just hearing the spirit of God speak to me being here on this continent again we cannot get comfortable we personally and we together cannot get comfortable so what will I do to end this I always know I've spoken too long and my iPad turns black and then I gotta say sorry this modern technology trying to control our lives. <laughs> to rebuke that thing. The first question in the New Testament is a better question than the first question in the Old. The first question in the Bible, I've already said, the first question in the New Testament, it's a great series, you go and look at it, but is the wise men 
asking, where is the Christ? Because we come to worship him. Now that's the response that we need to have. Where is the Christ that was to be born that we may worship him? And my prayer is this morning that that's where our hearts would turn today. The gift of God is eternal life. All right. This, for preachers, this is where we, we can preach for the rest of our life. The greatest fact of the universe, the greatest fact of the universe is that God is our Father. Amen? He's your Father. He's our Father. I used to preach the greatest fact of the universe was that He loved us, but He loves us because He's a Father. The greatest truth is that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. And many of you, when I say that fathers, your relationship with fathers are different, all of us have stories about our fathers, some of them not good, some of them not pleasant, even just calling God your father can give these images. Some of my first memories of my father, my father, was hiding in our basement, which is the lower floor of a house if you're not familiar with Canadian basements, and hearing my father shouting and slapping and fighting with my mother, drunk out of his mind upstairs. Those are my earliest memories of my father. And so when you talk about a father and the father's heart and God is our father, some of us have to kind of filter some of that through. What does that mean? To, to allow God to become our father, to understand what an amazing father is like. There's people in this room, and I've shared this all over Africa and all over the world, you, you, you're like me. You waited your whole life just to hear one time your father put his arm around you and say, you know, I love you. You never heard it. Maybe their fathers aren't able, they're gone, they're dead, they're disappeared, they're AWOL, and you may never hear that. But I'm telling you this morning, God, our Father in heaven, has a way of just coming into our lives and telling us that. And saying, I chose you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You're the one who I love. And I have a plan for your life. And we have an amazing Father in heaven who loves us. And I can remember back, I was just talking about it the other day with, with um, my good friend here, George. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just need to catch my breath there. You know. How much do you want to know? But my it took until my father was dying of cancer in the hospital. We were living here in Africa then, and we heard that he the cancer had hit his liver and he had a short time to live. And so we flew back to Canada. And me growing up us growing up, we could never talk about sex, religion, money, you know, just the little things. <laughs> That's private. Okay, what can we talk about? Horses, weather, I don't know. So we f I fly back to Canada to see my dad. He's in the hospital. We know the time is short, and I'm praying, God, just give me 20 minutes. Literally, I prayed, give me 20 minutes with my dad in his right mind before the medicine and the cancer kicks in, because he's been fighting for a couple of years, but this is serious. Just give me 20 minutes with my dad in the hospital and make a long story short, we get there, nurses disappear. Just, it was just like God orchestrated this moment. And being a well-traveled, well-seasoned evangelist from around the world, 
I get in the room with my father, <laughs> and I, I'm scared spitless. And I, I, this is how I got to it. I said, my, daughter, my oldest daughter is Nicole. At that time, she was just a little girl, and my dad loved her, like all grandparents do. I, often when I saw her with him with her, I'd say, well, where is that dad when I was growing up? I never saw that guy. You kill my dad and get a new guy or what? <laughs> but it's only because you don't remember when, what was going on when you were little, but to see your own granddaughter. So I, I used my daughter, Nicole, is what I'm trying to say. I get in the room with my dad, nurses leave, this is it. This is the moment of our life. And I say, Dad, Nicole wants to know, are you ready to go to heaven? My dad gets tears in his eyes, because we don't cry, except when you're drunk and fighting and punching each other, then lots of emotions. But and he says, yes, for about two years now. And I've wanted to tell you. And then he looks at me and he says, what you're doing is amazing. And what he meant was ministry and whatever. Because you've got to know, growing up, we were told, don't you think it's time to get a real job doing this gimme, gimme stuff? You know, what do you do as a pastor? Just look out the window all day. Like, what? get a real job. <laughs> yeah. And you think it's funny until it's your dad and it's your life. And we're sitting there and he says, what you're doing is amazing. And he's ready for heaven. And I can tell Nicole. And I, I can't describe what it means. And the, the healing that comes into my heart of my father just saying those simple words. You're doing good. First time. So I don't know where you're at in your, your walk with your, the Lord, where you're at in, with religion. That's not what I'm preaching this morning, your relationship with God. But I'm praying that you would hear this morning those words. You're mine. You're doing good. I love you. doesn't matter where you're at. I have a plan for your life. You can just trust me. You know, I've preached it so many times, but Jesus didn't come here to make our lives harder. He came here to give us life, not to add some more religion, not to add some more. Yeah, there's stuff we do. You know, people will quote John where he says, Jesus is preaching and he says, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. And all we hear is keep his commandments, keep his commandments. We got no, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, if, there's, if you get that right, if you can just understand that God loves you, and you love him and it's passion. You never lose that. You never forget what slavery was like and what he saved you out of. You just keep that alive. Then the byproduct of that is, yeah, we'll keep some commandments and we'll do some stuff and it'll be joyful and be full of life. But we do it because we love him. And he loves us. And I just believe there's people here this morning that have been waiting to hear, well done. They've been waiting to hear, I love you. They've been waiting to hear, you're a good son. I know 67-year-old Afrikaner men in Pretoria who had never heard in their entire life that they, were, that they did well. And they've been working for 40 years to try to win the approval of a father that's never going to come. And they just needed to hear, you're a good son. What you're doing is amazing. 
Man, it just, it just heals stuff in your life. And I'm telling you, that's what God is good at. That's the God we serve. The wages of sin is death. Like, God is not holding anything back from us when he says, hey, don't touch that. Get out of that. It's not, it's not what the devil's saying. Did God really say that? Could God be like, he's such a liar. God is over here saying, I give you life. I give you eternal life. And all he's asking for us is to just say, help me. I'm going to ask the band to come. We want to pray with folk this morning. I want to give an invitation. My evangelist friend, he's not really my friend. They're all my friends. This is a, you know, Terry Law is his name, but he always tells a story of a young lady named Charlotte. And she grew up in a pastor's home. That's why it stuck with me. And she grew up in a home, in a church, and she rebelled against her family. And she said, no, I don't want that. It's, it's kind of the typical Bible story. She rebelled against her father, rebelled against the church, said, I'm not going that way. Left. Make a long story short, she got in real trouble. She found herself selling her body to pay for drugs, to pay for a lifestyle that was actually destroying her. And in the process... She hit the end of the road. She had nothing. Actually, she was laying on one of those, those, whatever they're called, the grates from the road that was giving a bit of heat so that she wouldn't freeze to death. And she's sitting there. You can just, just picture it. And she said, I, I got to go home. True story. And so she somehow found a, a phone and she called her dad. First time in a couple of years. And she's and there was no answer, so she left the message. And on the phone, she was saying to her dad, Dad, I, I, I'm in trouble. Can I come home? I'm going to come home. I know I don't deserve it. I know I messed up. I, I'm going to come home. And I'm going to get off the train at a certain station. And if there, it was a bus actually, the bus station, and if I, I'm going to get off it, and she named the station, and if you're there, you're there, but I, I'm coming home. And she hung up, left the message, got on the bus, got to the station, and there's nobody there. She's sitting on the bus, and everybody gets off the bus, everybody, and she's got nothing left, nothing. She doesn't know what to do because this is the end of the road. And she gets off the bus and she goes into the station. As she comes in the door, there's a giant sign above the door that says, Welcome home. And there was a crowd of people inside the station waiting for her to come home. And I just... All the theology, all the preaching, all the Bible school, all the notes in the 41 years of ministry... There's just one thing I know is that God welcomes us home. Doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter where we've been, doesn't matter what we've done, doesn't matter what we're trapped in or what we're not trapped in, religion, good works. You know, many of us need to repent of religion. We need to repent of our good works. They don't help anyone. He says, Welcome home. 
And he's calling to us this morning to come back to him. He's, he's walking literally through these aisles and saying, I choose you, sir. I choose you. I made you. You're mine. Come home. Would you bow your heads, please? Pray with me.